From the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania and SiriusXM, this is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. The conversation you're about to hear was originally recorded on the Work and Life radio show on SiriusXM 111, business radio powered by Wharton. Here's your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman. My guest for this episode is Jason Fried, who is the co-founder and CEO of Basecamp, which is a leading project management tool that has helped over 2.5 million users improve their organizational skills. Basecamp is known as a company that offers a monthly stipend for massages, encourages employees to work no more than 40 hours per week, actually 40 hours, and even pays for vacations. Not just the time off, but for the vacations. Jason writes a really interesting monthly column for Inc. Magazine. It's called Get Real, where he shares his a distinctive point of view on business, and he gives advice to aspiring entrepreneurs. You should check that out. But for now, in this episode, we talk about Jason's calm, mindful method for paying attention to what you and your company pay attention to, knowing that your attention is perhaps your most precious asset. We find out how Basecamp, the company, manages projects, how they use their own product, and explore one of the key ingredients in their secret sauce, which is to be, as Jason puts it, in the problem avoidance business, in part by constraining growth, which is contrary to the pressures for more, more, and more. Jason urges us to forego the struggles that we create for ourselves and our organizations with unnecessary meetings and other unhelpful practices that get in the way of people being free to do work when and where they do their best work. For these and other practical insights, please listen now to my conversation with the sagacious Jason Fried. Jason, welcome to Work and Life. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, it's great to have you here. Uh, as I said in the intro, I am a longtime user of your fabulous system, um, starting with what's now called the Classic. Uh, but I love Basecamp 3. It's, you've really done a great job in upgrading uh, with the, the, the recent uh, versions. I use it for projects with students, with clients, with vendors. It's really an easy-to-use virtual office for all sorts of projects. Um, so thank you for making it and for enabling a lot of freedom and flexibility in my life, my working life, and other parts of my life. Well, thanks for being so kind about that. I'm well, glad to have you as a customer. Yeah, no, it's, uh, and that's, I mean, but that's not why I invited you to be on the show. You, you've done some really thoughtful um, discussions and books and articles about how to, how to work intelligently in our modern world. Let me just start by asking you, what inspired you to create this tool? Uh, create Basecamp? Yeah. Um, well, back in, in the early 2000s, we were a web design shop. So we were doing, you know, website redesigns and bringing people online and stuff. And 
we were getting really busy doing a lot of client work, and we couldn't figure out a way to manage the work efficiently. We were kind of shooting emails back and forth and having a lot of in-person meetings and phone calls, and just it felt very scattered, mm-hmm. um, unprofessional in a sense, if you want to use that. It just didn't feel right. It felt like we could do better than this. We need to get our act together, basically. And um, we couldn't find anything that was working for us, so we ended up building our own tool. Um, and oh, wow. that ultimately became Basecamp. As we started to use it with our clients, they kept asking us, like, hey, can we use this for our own projects? Like, hmm. what is this thing? And we just said, it's this thing we made. I don't know. It's just this thing we made. And enough people kept asking us about it that, like, the light bulb went on above our heads. And we're like, there's a product here. So we turned it into a product and launched it in 2004. And we've done, you know, a zillion things since with it. Mm-hmm. But um, that's how it all got started. We were just kind of scratching our own itch. Wow. And uh, 37 Signals, what's the significance of that? Well, 37 Signals was what, was what we used to be called. Now we're called Basecamp. Okay. The company used to be called 37 Signals. And um, it, so when we were trying to name the company, this was in 99, we couldn't come up with a name. Um, and one of my original business partners was listening to uh, or watching Nova, you know, the science show on yes. CBS. And they were doing this show on the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, like the SETI project, you know, where they're listening to space for signs of life or something. Yes. And it turns out at that time, there were 37 signals that were unexplained and signs of potential intelligent life. Ah. We thought that was just so cool. So <laughs> the domain name was available and we ran with it. Got it. So that's funny. I didn't know that. I, I just inferred that it had something to do with the ratio of signal to noise because I know that reducing noise is a part of what your, your tools uh, make happen for, for people. That wasn't that wasn't your thinking though. No, but it is a prime number, and there's something cool about that. And the signal of noise thing is we actually our blog our, our blog is called Signal versus Noise, so there's, ah. there's definitely a tie in there somewhere. Well, so um, you know my my one of the teams that I work uh, with, uh, the guys were super excited that I was talking to you tonight, and they insisted that I ask you some questions about how you use Basecamp. So if you will allow. I'll, of course. At least one question. How do you use the to-dos? My team is dying to know. Um, <laughs> and, and they also want specifically to know, how many open to-dos do you have right now? Yeah, so me personally, um, we don't use, well, we don't use to-dos personally, really, at Basecamp. We use to-dos to communicate progress on projects, like how far along are we, how much work is there left to do, where are we in a certain chunk of work? So what we do is we take any big, any given project. Let's say we're working on something that's going to take six weeks long. We'll create a, a set of separate to-do lists that sort of encapsulate a piece of the project. Hmm. So for a six-week project, we might have six or seven to-do lists with maybe a dozen items per. And everything related to that small chunk of the project is on that single list. And that way, as the list is completed, we know that that chunk of the project is done. And now we have like six chunks left out of seven. And then we finish one more list and we have five chunks left out of seven. We kind of move with these smaller chunks of work so we can get a big piece of work done Mm -hmm. in small batches. And we use to-dos for that. And we assign them to the people who are working on on the work. But me personally, I've never been a to-do person myself. I, I try and have one thing to do one or two things to do on a given day, and I can hold that in my head. Um, uh, and so I'm not a to-do person, but but our teams absolutely are when we're tracking, you know, dozens of things to, of to do on a, on a given basis, yeah. And and, and do, do, does everyone insist that there be um, a deadline associated with every to-do? Sorry to well, get too technical not, here, and this is the last question I'll yeah. ask about the mechanics. <laughs> sure, this is cool. Um, uh, not every individual to-do, but every big project we have 
can last no longer than six weeks. Oh. And most of our projects last anywhere from uh, a week to a couple weeks. And so we're very sort of very stringent about the scope of the overall project, but individual to-dos are not dated at, at base camp. Sometimes they are for some teams, but for the most part, wow. you know, we have six weeks to get this work done, and then we negotiate with each individual to-do an item. It's not that one's going to take a day or two or three. It's just we know we have to get this amount of work done in a certain amount of time, and then we, 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 we do it that way. So we don't, we don't, over, we don't sort of over-detail the work that needs to get done. We have the big picture. We have pieces of work that need to get done, but we don't specify, like, this has to be done on Wednesday before this can start on Thursday. We, don't, we don't get to that level of detail. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I, th- there's about 17 other questions I'd like to ask you about that, but I'm not going to. <laughs> uh, I want to know more about your company's culture and, and what you do to, uh, to uh, sustain it. What, what's what's sure. the big idea? Well, first of all, we're, um, I'll start with, with the most basic thing, which is that we believe that 40 hours is enough time to do great work. And a lot of things stem from that. So mm-hmm. because we say 40 hours, we first of all have to mean 40 hours. So every employee at base camp gets a full eight hours of time to themselves every day to do their work. So we don't have standing meetings. We don't have status meetings. We don't do anything really that is regular, that takes hours away from people every week or during the day. So everyone has their full eight hours of time to get things done. And when you have a full eight hours of time, you get a lot of things done because uninterrupted stretches of time mm-hmm. are worth more than the component parts. For example, sure. one hour worth of time is worth far more than 15 minutes four times in a row. Sure. That makes any sense. No, of course. So, no, we, we've talked yeah. a lot about interruptions and, and distractions and deep work. We've, we've had many conversations uh, along those lines on the show. I know exactly what you're saying, that the interruptions yeah, cause you that. to start again. And you have all the residue from the prior task. You have to restart. And so there's so much waste when there's interruption. But please continue on, totally. on how you manage to make that a reality. Yeah, well, we cut all the stuff out that, that doesn't matter. So for us, um, a lot of meetings are not necessary because we write things up in base camp rather than gather everybody in a room and say it out loud. We believe that writing things down is a better way to communicate mm. because it's asynchronous primarily, which mm-hmm. is that I can write something up and I can post it to base camp, and then you can read it when you're ready to, which might be three hours later, four hours later, or 15 minutes later, but it's, it's you. You decide when you want to read what I wrote mm-hmm. versus if I pull everybody into a room, I have to stop them from working. We all have to gather around, yep. and then we basically are taking, let's say it's a one-hour meeting and there's five people in the room. That's really a five-hour meeting because you're taking five hours of working time away from the company. And when you just keep doing that over and over and over, you end up wasting so much time every week. So we get rid of that. We write things down. We, we post them to base camp. People read them when they have a chance, and we work at a very calm pace where if someone gets back to me tomorrow, that's fine. If someone gets back to me in two days, that's fine, unless it's truly urgent, but very few things should be. And I think there's a culture right now of, of interruption, of demanding immediate responses, mm-hmm. uh, of, of the, the, the understanding that if I say something now, that means you need to get back to me now. And that's, in my opinion, very broken. That's what leads to very fragmented days and a lot of stress and anxiety. So we work in a very calm pace. People write things up. They get back to you when they have a chance. And then, you know, things just kind of roll that way. And that way, everyone's in control of their own time and no one can kind of take you other people's time away from them. 
I know that so you do that. You squeeze all this waste out, right? And then you're kind of left with mm-hmm. open days to actually do the work itself. And then you can get a tremendous amount of work done in 40 hours, and you can go home and have a great night with yourself or your family or whoever. And in the summers, even right, including right now, we only work 40 weeks, so we work about 32-hour weeks in the summer. So we don't work on Fridays in the summer. So everyone gets a three-day weekend. They come back rested on Monday. And it also further forces us to squeeze out the things that don't matter. It's a really wonderful exercise in getting rid of stuff that would be stealing our time away. So we're very careful about that. You, that's one thing we do. Well, that's that's massive uh, yeah. in in its uh, uh, visionary, if in these times, uh, approach to how you uh, give people freedom. Now, this requires that people are good writers, right? Yes, it does. We only hire good writers. So... Whenever we're hiring for any role, it doesn't matter what the role is, you've got to be a good writer. And we, we, we read, you know, read a lot. We write a lot. If you can't communicate clearly, if you can't in writing. write something, yeah, in writing primarily, mm-hmm. if you can't make your points clear and concisely, you can't go into detail uh, in, in a way that doesn't you know, spark more questions than, than, you're at, than you're answering, then you're just not going to work out well here. And so we're, we're careful about that. And, if there's ever a couple of candidates who are basically, you know, at the same level, they have the same skills, everything, but one's a better writer, we'll always hire the better writer. That's fascinating. And and yeah. you, you screen for that in terms of writing samples and, uh, you know, whether they were an English major. I mean, ha- how do you know if someone's a good writer? Is it just basically looking at what they've written? Yeah, I mean, the way we hire everyone is we, we don't look at credentials. Um, we look at work and, and actual stuff. So, for example, if we're hiring a designer, um, we give them a project to design for us. We pay them for it. We give them a one-week project. We pay them fifteen hundred bucks, and we look at their at their design. But beyond the design, we ask them to write up what they did. Like, take me through the thought process. Uh-huh. How did you end up here? And so we can see In how writing. people would explain themselves. Um, if they're a programmer, they also have to, you know, they would document something or they'd write some code, but they'd also explain what they did and why they did it in writing. Um, so we're always looking at that. Plus. You know, we basically throw resumes out the door when we get them and we look at cover letters. So can someone, can, someone, can someone sell us on themselves in a very short, brief letter that's so well written and so well thought out that we're like, this person knows how to communicate and then we'll talk to you. So there's a lot of little small things we do and some bigger things we do to, to, to look at writing. But we don't look at credentials or, or anything like that because that doesn't say anything really about what someone's capable of. The only thing you can tell or the only time you can tell if someone's capable of something is if they actually do it for you and you evaluate the real thing. We're always about getting to the realest possible thing so we can like, cut through all the fog and, and find out if this person can do what they say. So, Jason, how do you spend your time? We're, we're, your, your attention is your most precious asset. I, I preach that with my students and clients, and it's clear that you're someone who is a, a real exemplar of, of being conscious of where you devote your attention. How do you choose what to devote your attention to uh, at work and, and beyond? It's, it's what needs my attention or what I want to spend it on. So, for example, um, last couple of weeks I've been doing a lot of employee reviews. So we do these mm-hmm. semi-annual employee reviews. So like that's where my attention is. Um, right now we're finishing up some work that we started about four weeks ago, and we've got a few more weeks to go, and I've been spending a lot of time looking at that. So it's design work and it's it's conceptual work with the product that we're improving with ba- with Basecamp. So I'm look, spending time on that. We're writing a new book, so I spend time on that. But what I try not to do is I try not to bounce too much in a given day between too many things. Because mm-hmm. when I do that, 
I, I don't really do a great job at any of those things. I'm too scattered and I'm bouncing around and multitasking doesn't work and all that. So um, when I'm right, trying to write our book, I try to dedicate a day or two to do that, to like knock out a handful of things and then I move on to something else. So my days are different and my weeks are different mm-hmm. depending on what needs my attention, who needs help, who wants me to look at something and also what do I need to get done. So I'm not very structured in terms of I don't plan out my weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I basically look a day or two in advance. And also I, I look to myself and go, what am I in the mood to do? Because mm-hmm. what I found out about myself is that I cannot force myself to write a book. I have to be excited to write a book. Mm-hmm. I can't force myself to write a chapter. I mean, I could do it, but I wouldn't, it wouldn't be any good. So I've got to find those things that, that I'm good at at different times. So for example, I know I have to write some stuff in the book and, like last week was hard for me. I just didn't have any focus. I couldn't, I couldn't focus on book stuff. So I just, I didn't fight through it. I just stopped doing it and I'll pick it up this week. So I'm very conscious about my sort of ebbs and flows and and how my energy is directed. And if it's directed in a way that it's going to be used properly versus plowing through something, I don't like to plow through something or, Mm. or, 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 you know, like just like grind through it because it's not going to be any good. And and what about beyond work? Can you, Tell us a bit about you know how you create the boundaries that enable you to do things beyond work, if you do, yeah, that yeah, are meaningful to you. Sure. Uh, I mean, one thing is I have a, a two and a half year old son, so my wife and I have one kid, so that that nice. that, makes, <laughs> that brings a real reality to to you know what time I can wake up in the morning, which is five thirty, and mm-hmm. when I have to go to sleep so I can get get a good night's rest. Um, but you know, for for, for me. Um, I've always tried to work about 40 hours, and a um, big part of that is because I think that you need perspective, you need contrast, so you need to break away from work in order to do something else so you can be better at work. Yes. Your mind, your mind, like if you're just focused on one thing like 24-7, you're not actually doing a very good job at it. There's just no way. You need separation. Your mind needs to work on things while you're not thinking about them. Your subconscious can mm-hmm. solve problems that you can't solve, and mm-hmm. when you're sleeping, you can solve things and you need to be rested. So there's that. Um, I'm in, I have a bunch of different hobbies. I collect vintage watches. I'm restoring some, some, um, some farmland up in Wisconsin. I do a lot of gardening around the house. I'm into a bunch of different things. Um, but I, it's not that I want to make time for those things. It's that, it's that I don't want to spend more than 40 hours a week working because that's enough. And then, um, I also, of course, by that, I make time for lots of other things. Of course. Um, so, you know, I, I just, how do I do it? I, I just have a, a pretty hard set and I like look at my own energy and go, you know, I put in a good day. That's, that's enough. That's enough. And then also Basecamp three, of course, has some tools in it that help. So there's a feature called work can wait, which allows each employee, or I should say employee, each person who uses Basecamp mm-hmm. um, to set their own work schedule. And so mine is set from nine to five, Monday through Friday uh, or m- Monday through Thursday in the summers. Right. And after that time, Basecamp cannot send me any notifications. So it can't send me any emails. It can't ping my phone. It can't, it can't reach out and grab me. If I want to go back into Basecamp at night to check something, I can do that. But Basecamp, the product, basically work cannot pull me back in. And everybody at, at Basecamp, at our company, anyone who uses Basecamp around the world has that control over their own time. So mine, mine is set nine to five. After five, I never hear from work ever, not until the next morning. And that's wow. something that's really important. And, and so you're, you know, this model is kind of unusual, as I'm sure you know. Yeah. Um, how how do, how does your company exist in the ecosystem of you know the 20 
uh, the the twenty teens, uh, you know, digital reality of the constant swarm of the of digital distractions and and all the clients and vendors and others, external stakeholders who who might you know be uh, impinging uh, on yeah. your time and attention. How do you manage those relationships? Uh, you know, given the way that you operate. Yeah, it's a really good question. And the, and the thing is, the first thing you have to realize is that your time and attention is worth paying attention to. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have to first come to the conclusion that, hey, I own my time and my attention. No one can take that from me. I have to choose how I want to, how I want to spend it. A lot of people are just like, well, I've got time during the week and people are going to take as much of my time as they need. And I, I just don't think of it that way. You first have to protect it and guard it as the precious cargo that it is. So you have to start there and say, this is important. This is all I have. I can't do work if I don't have my attention. So that's the first thing. You first have to say, like, it's worth it to protect it. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, is that we've intentionally um, kept our company small. So our company, we have 54 people at Basecamp. Oh. And, and, you know, we could have hundreds or, or more. And a lot of our competitors have thousands or, or, or you know, many, many thousands. Um, we've kept our company small that helps us avoid a lot of problems that come with big companies. Big companies require a lot more meetings. There's a lot more, there, there are more layers of management, mm-hmm. which require more meetings and more, there's more miscommunication in bigger companies because messages traveling between multiple people. So you can avoid that problem by keeping the company small. Our teams are small too. We, we don't work on anything that takes more than three people at a time to do, basically. Mm-hmm. So, um, we split up in multiple projects over a six week period, but those, projects are done by teams of three, which prevent a lot of other problems. So we're, we're in the uh, problem avoidance business in a sense. A lot of companies have problems and they spend a lot of energy solving them. If you can avoid them in the first place, that's, that's great. Second, the third thing is we're self-funded. So we don't have investors. We are bootstrapped. hundred percent of our revenues come from customers, not investors. We don't have a board of directors. We don't have to answer to anybody except our customers and ourselves. And that simplifies things considerably. We don't have to look at quarter to quarter. We don't have to think about, well, mm. this investor wants to sell. They want to make money off us, so they want to sell the business. So now we got to do all these other things that we don't want to do, but mm-hmm. we have to do it because they own the pl- – you know, mm-hmm. you just avoid all that stuff. And it, gets, it becomes very pure, which is we have a product that we build that we also use every day. We sell it to our customers, and they pay us for it. We're a sustainable business. We've been profitable for 18 years. We've been in business for 18 years. And we grow in control. A lot of companies create hell on earth for themselves by growing too fast, by, by, by compounding their problems, by adding more and more problems to it and taking a lot of outside money and, and having unrealistic goals and putting mm-hmm. all this undue pressure on themselves. Mm-hmm. And they just make it harder on themselves. And if you don't make it harder on yourself, business is not that hard besides the fact that, of course, it's like most businesses don't survive. So there's a baseline level of difficulty, but don't make it harder than it has to be. And when you do that, and you realize that your time and attention is important and you keep the companies nice and tight and small and autonomous and, and you can, you can, you don't have to give in to this, all the craziness that's out there. You just don't have to. So the, um, yeah, the, I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of simple, but that's, it sounds trite in a sense, but that's really, you have to avoid the problems. It's not at all trite. It's profoundly yeah. important. And, and I'm so glad that you are espousing and, and, you know, exemplifying these principles. What do you tell to the, the young entrepreneurs who look to you and say, Jason, it's my startup. It's my life. It's 24 seven. You know, what are you talking about? Cause I'm sure you get that a lot. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's, we're in constant battles online with people who think it's all about the endless hustle and, and the whole thing. And 
You know, I basically, my, my general feeling is you actually cannot outwork people. There's enough people out there who are willing to put in 24 seven, whatever, like, so like you can't, there's only 24 hours in a day. Every human is, 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 you know, has the same, the same amount of time to work with. So you cannot work people. Um, you know, also, I don't think anyone is actually working 24-7 or working 12 mm-hmm. or 14-hour days. They're not actually working. They might be at work, but you've got to look closely at yourself and go, what am I actually doing with my time? So there's a lot of people who just think busy is, be- is working. Like being busy is being working, jumping from this meeting to that meeting mm-hmm. or taking on a whole bunch of calls or all these things that people do all day. And then they actually only leave themselves an hour or two to do the work that needs to get done. So, of course, they're going to work 14 hours because they're wasting 12 of them. And then they got to find two more to actually do the work itself. And so whenever someone tells me they're, they're working ex- exceptionally long hours or they've got to just hustle and grind and the whole thing, my first question is, what are you actually doing all day? Like, what, have, you, have, you, have you looked back at yourself and have you, like, really audited your time, mm-hmm. essentially? And I'll, I'll work with people sometimes and look at their schedule, and, and I'll just see it being filled with 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 um, tiny blocks. If you look at their calendar, it looks like a like a game of Tetris. Basically, it's like all these <laughs> colored blocks, uh-huh. and there's no stretches of uninterrupted time mm-hmm. to actually get into some deep work. And so people are running around all day. And if they would just reorder their schedule or make sure that one day a week they have nothing on their calendar, like they would find that they don't need to put in these ridiculous amounts of hours. Mm-hmm. So. I, you know, you have to look at this at, at how you're spending your time. If you're saying you're spending a lot of time, I'd say, well, on what? And and it, 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 people often have a hard time answering the on what thing. And then you look at their schedule and you go, of course you're you're scattered all over the place. Like mm-hmm. you're not scheduling yourself well. You're taking on too many things. You're saying yes to too much stuff. What do you like? What do you really need to be doing? And mm-hmm. people typically don't think about that. They don't think about it enough. We, um, so that's what I say to them. Yeah, just pay, pay attention to what you're attending to is, is such an uh, important question, an important idea. We are we are about at the end here. Uh, unfortunately, Jason, uh, there's so much more I want to ask you about. Perhaps I can get you back at some later date. Um, what's, Anytime. Well, uh, what's the new book about? What, what do you want people to know about what's next for, for you and for your company? Sure. Sure. So the book probably won't be out till next year. But I'll, I'll give you a quick preview. It's called The Calm Company. And it's all about yes. our methods of <laughs> not being, it. yeah, not being, you know, not running around with your hair on fire, not feeling like you need to put in 80 hour weeks, mm-hmm. not, you know, breaking up this, this, this interruption culture and saying, like, you can run at a different pace. You can be profitable. Cause, like, look, if you're not profitable and you're always in the red, you're, you're almost always out of business. And that's a very stressful place to be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, get profitable, get on your own schedule. Take it easy. Don't rush. Most things you think need to be done tomorrow don't. It can wait a few days. Nothing needs to happen at 10 o'clock at night. They can't wait till 9 o'clock the next morning. Of course, there's emergencies here and there, but everything shouldn't be an emergency. Just kind of detailing the work practices that we have at Basecamp where it's a much calmer place to work. So we're detailing that. Um, we're constantly improving Basecamp 3, the product, um, in a variety of different ways. So every six weeks, we launch brand new stuff in it and make it better and better and better and faster and simpler and more powerful and all the things we're focused on. And then we're always just trying to improve the company. We see our company as a product itself, um, which is a whole other conversation, which I think would be fun to have. It's not just you have products, but your company is a product. So you can iterate on your company and improve that as well uh, and make, make the place a better place to work for everybody. And so we're just doing all that and doing our own way on our own schedule and, and taking care of our people and our customers and making something great. And 
business has never been better, so we feel like we're doing a pretty good job. It's clear that you uh, have a, a, a remarkable approach to modern life in your business and in uh, the parts of your life beyond, and I'm sure that uh, that has a positive effect uh, not only on your employees, but the tool itself uh, really is a, a liberating um, device that helps people to gain a sense of control and really focus on what's important. Uh, Jason, so. uh, thank you so much for being my guest tonight. Uh, really appreciate your time and attention and what you're doing with your remarkable company. Well, thanks for having me on. This is really fun, and, and I'd love to come on again if you want to keep, keep talking about it. These are important topics. All right. You can count on that. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jason Freed, the co-founder and CEO of Basecamp, and perhaps you've been inspired by what you heard in this episode. Here's one thing that might be particularly interesting for you to think about and perhaps act on. So let me offer an invitation, a challenge for you that emanates from what Jason and I talked about. Why not try eliminating one standing meeting that you currently have for the express purpose of protecting time and attention to focus uninterrupted on doing work you really want and need to do. Could you try this for a week or two? And think about how you and the people around you might benefit from your trying this experiment? If you do try it, or something like it, write to me to let me know what you discovered. I'd love to hear from you and the insights and observations you've got from intentionally trying to make your world a little better. You can tweet at Stu Friedman or just email me at friedman at wharton.upenn.edu. For more information about Basecamp, just go to basecamp.com. And for more information about Jason's insights, uh, you can just read his column his in, in Ink Magazine. It's at uh, www.ink.com slash author slash Jason Freed. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio Powered by Wharton. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. For more about today's guest and about previous guests, check out our blog at workandlifepodcast.com. Join the conversation by tweeting at Stu Friedman. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, check out our website, totalleadership.org, and my book, Total Leadership, Be a Better Leader, have a richer life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends, family, and coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me. <music>